excited about being here and celebrating Jesus this morning. Amen. Come on, put your hands together.
serve the lion and the lamb this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on.
just lift your voice this morning. Thank you, Lord.
Just celebrate his name this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing better than my God. There's nothing better than Jesus. Oh. Sing that again. Sing, who can stop? Who can stop? Come on, lift your voice, church. Sing it out. 
I just want you to give Jesus your best praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing in this place. Thankful for your spirit. Lord, I pray right now that our worship has been a sweet sound in your ear. And Lord, I pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word. We love you. In your name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Give one each other an air high five. Welcome one another. Amen.
Well, good morning. If you're glad that you're alive and loving Jesus, let me hear your hands. You've kind of uh, packed us out this morning, so that's good. It just, we're going to have to um, be more creative next week, so, um, but thanks. I'm glad you're here. Really, I'm glad you're here. That's a positive, so we'll figure that out. I feel like there's a coronavirus fatigue that's uh, setting in, but we still want to do the right things and appreciate your help with that, and uh, just glad that you're here. Next week, we do plan, tentatively, watch for information. We do plan to relaunch the classic service. I think we can do that next week. And uh, Pastor Justin, are you here somewhere? There you are. And we're good to go this Wednesday. BSC is going to uh, launch this Wednesday. And uh, let me hear your hands if you're in favor of that. <laughs> All right, teenagers, listen to me. Students, listen to me. This is tentative upon your cooperating with social dis, uh, distancing. So just get that in your head. This is not a pep rally, all right? So when you come, we've got to honor that. And if you help us, we can stay open. If you don't, we won't be able to. Uh, just trying to, trying to do the right thing. So just glad you're here. And uh, I took a break from the daily updates. I felt like it was becoming white noise, but I may do a few more coming on uh, just to keep you updated with what's happening. And there's so much going on in our world uh, that just um, we're just real-time decisions, learning to pivot, all that goes on with that. So you're just your support. Encouragement is appreciated. We are live in the auditorium Wednesday, and, and I get how easy it is for you to join us online on Wednesday. I get that, but we'd love to have you join us in the auditorium. It's very easy to social distance on Wednesday. <laughs> We can put five to a section. We'll be great. We'll have plenty of space. I do want to pause here as well to say, uh, express our sympathies and condolences to the Zondervan family. Uh, Marge Zondervan passed away. Randy's mother passed away this past week. And Lee, it's good to have you here this morning as well. Have the whole family here. We love you guys. Just want you to know that. One of God's warriors went home, Amen. and that's where we're all planning to go. All right, now before I start to get all emotional and can't talk, let's go to Ezra. We're going to begin a new series through the book of Ezra. We came back stronger. How many feel stronger? Raise your hand even if you don't. By faith, I feel stronger. We're going to begin a series through the book of Ezra about rising from the rubble. What I found interesting in preparing for this series, I felt like God really did lay on my heart for this time, is there's very little sermon material on the book of Ezra. If you follow the lectionary, which is a three-year journey through Scripture that liturgical churches use, so you cover all of Scripture, in that three-year cycle, there's not one uh, reading or sermon from the book of Ezra. Originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were one volume with the book of Esther happening in the middle of that time frame. And so now we just go right to Nehemiah. Everybody wants to talk about Nehemiah and the rebuilding the walls. And I found that kind of interesting in human nature, that we're more interested in rebuilding the walls of the city than we are about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. It's the nature of people to want to rebuild the economy before we rebuild our worship. And in Scripture, it's the opposite of that. In Ezra, it's the temple that's rebuilt. 
worship that's restored, and then we worry about the economy and the building of the walls and the safety of the city in the book of Nehemiah. God is going to rebuild spiritually before anything else happens. And I have to remind you of what the scripture says in Chronicles. If my people, which are called by my name, will rebuild their city? No. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and then I will heal their land. And unfortunately, many people just want the end of that verse. We want our land to be healed when God wants us to do all the other things in between. So we're going to talk about rising from the rubble. What does it mean in a time of, of quarantine called Babylon? What does it mean to come back to a place where worship finds full expression again? Let me give you a little context for Nehemiah and Esther and uh, uh, Ezra that you saw in the video. But this section of scripture covers the last century of Old Testament history. Approximately 50 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire. It was the Babylonian Empire that conquered the Israelites and took them into captivity. So what happened was Babylon takes Israel into captivity as along with other nations. Persia conquers Babylon and brings all of those captives into the Persian Empire. The return to Jerusalem comes in three stages under Zerubbabel in Ezra 1 through 6, under Ezra in Ezra 7 to 10, and then under Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. And so we're going to look at the restoration of worship under the leadership of Ezra that it seems like is often ignored. What does that look like? And if there ever was a need for revival, it's in America today. Now, I don't want to digress too far. I, I want to be careful, and I want you to understand what I have to say here, but um, I grew up as a white person in America. I don't know what it's like to grow up as a Hispanic. I don't know what it's like to grow up in the inner city. I don't know what it's like to grow up as a black American, and so I would not have the arrogance to tell them how they should feel. But when you're honoring a man who was brutally murdered in the streets of Minneapolis, and your purpose at the funeral is to say, I'm here to blow things up, that's not what America needs today. What we need is a revival of religion, is what Finney would call it, a revival of spiritual life that causes us to love one another as Jesus loves us. He died for the ethne, out of every, every person, tribe, tongue, nation, Jesus came for them all. And what America needs today in this time of division are Bible-believing Christians who will rise up and reflect what it means to be a child of God that loves everybody. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. I don't care right now whether you believe me or not. But I grew up in a home that didn't, didn't express racial prejudice in any way. My dad worked with Hispanics and black Americans. And when I was growing up, I didn't see a black person or a Hispanic any different in their skin color than their hair color. And it wasn't until the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. that I understood the level of racism there was in America because it wasn't in our house. 
We can get there again as people of God. We can claim that in our families and in our churches, in our lives, that we love everybody. How many are with me? For that to happen, there's got to be a reviving of worship because what will change America is not a political activist, a a, a frothing at the mouth political activist who gets the limelight for a moment. What will change America is the word of God being preached in pulpits all across the United States with men and women, boys and girls, finding Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then walking in the power of the truth and redeeming their culture, redeeming their neighborhoods, and redeeming the people around them and loving them as Jesus loved them. There'll be no white section in heaven. There'll be no black section in heaven. There'll be no Puerto Rican section in heaven. Hello? There'll only be a blood-washed multitude whose sins have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's proclaim that, let's champion that, and let's love one another and learn what it means in a time of rubble to rise in worship. Now, why does, how does that apply? It applies this way, that our world is changing. The church world is changing. This is all introduction, so just relax. I will promise you I'll do my best to quit when I'm through. You've seen some changes around here. We're trying to, we're trying to do a better job of communicating the gospel in a digital context. Because overnight, overnight, every pastor in America became a TV preacher. And people are visiting churches. I talked to a lady who doesn't go to our church but said she's loving this. She said, I go to four churches every Sunday. She doesn't stay through any one of them. We get a little worship here and get a little preaching here and don't have to give the offering at any. I remember years ago when we brought Lowell Lundstrom to Old Wine. How many of you remember anybody, Lowell Lundstrom? And we, we were at the football stadium at the high school and could tell you all kinds of stories about that. In fact, Lowell told me that if I wanted to reach our city, I need to sell Hoover vacuum, or I mean Kirby vacuum cleaners, which is a whole other story in itself. But he's, he's preaching, he's on the platform in the football field, and there were houses around the edge with a chain link fence. And there are people that came out of their houses and brought out their lawn chairs and sat behind their chain link fence and watched. And it really annoyed him. I would not have done this, but I was there when it happened. He turned and said, all of you out there behind the fence that are watching, you're just what's wrong with America. You want to sit on the other side of the fence and enjoy the ministry and not have any investment, and you don't have to respond. And when you're ready, you can go back into the house. And it's people that will sit in the uh, stadium that will worship God and let Jesus touch them. He said, most people want to be on the other side of the fence from what I have to say. Now, that fence may not be there today, but there's a buffer zone right now called the digital church. And it's going to be really easy for consumer-driven Christians to stay at home and cherry-pick what they want to listen to. Now, I am glad for the digital world. I'm glad that we had that opportunity to still be the church during that time. But as we're changing, you've got to understand, God didn't intend the church ever to be a place that sat and watched 
but a place that lived in community and authenticity and interaction with one another. And we need to reclaim that as soon as we possibly can. And your being here shows that you believe that as well. It's not enough to watch. And that's been the problem with the American church all along. You come into a room, you sit here in a design that's intended for you to watch. And we have to overcome that. You're not here to watch. You're here to worship when the music starts. You're not here to watch and listen to a preacher. You're here to interact with the Spirit of God as we look in the Word of God together. And what America is going to need coming out of this is a revival of religion that moves American Christians from consumer Christianity to committed faith and begin to live it out again. And it'll be a weeding out and an empowering that will release a revival, I believe, potentially, that this world has not seen. It'll be smaller but it'll be more intense. So this is a time for us to say, what is, what is revival really about? What does it mean to really worship? How do we rise out of that? Israel had been in quarantine for 70 years. Some of you are dying after seven weeks. <laughs> 70 years away from their homeland. 70 years away from their temple. 70 years away from the free exercise of their faith. And Ezra begins to chart for us the journey back to worship in the city of God. I'd like to see Jesus do that here. How about you? All right, let's look at chapter 1. Let me give you the theme for chapter 1. I didn't write this, but I loved it. I loved what this author said about about Ezra chapter 1. The theme for the chapter is this. Spiritual renewal requires God's great power working according to his gracious promises for his glorious purpose. Let me do that again. What is it about? What is chapter 1? It says that spiritual renewal requires God's great power working according to his gracious promises for his glorious purpose. And this first phase of return to Jerusalem to reestablish worship will be led by Zerubbabel. And God gave a word to Zerubbabel that many of us quote over and over again. It came through Zechariah. It was on the Pentecostal evangel for years while we had that magazine. And it became the theme of the New Testament church. But that's not how it was given. This verse was given to Zechariah in the rebuilding of worship in the city of God. And here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. Someone in the house say amen. Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We don't need more political clout. We don't need more financial um, uh, power, though both of those are beneficial. What we need is the spirit of God re-loosed and released in our lives in the house of God and see what he will do. And Ezra chapter 1 starts us on that journey with some principles that are essential to reviving a spirit of worship in any culture and turning that world right side up. I don't know what you think, but I think our world today is upside down. It's time to turn it right side up. (laughs) Number one, Ezra chapter one. First principle from this chapter is you can bank on this. 
God's word will be fulfilled. That shouldn't even be a discussion point among us. It's called a presuppositional apologetic. I'm not going to defend the word of God. I'm going to believe that what it says is true, and you're not going to pull me sideways on the issues at all. It says here that this all happens in Ezra chapter 1 to fulfill the word of the Lord (coughs) spoken by Jeremiah. It was to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to meddle here just a little bit on this fulfillment of Scripture because I think people are interesting. Seventy years after the fall of Jerusalem, God had prophesied, and I'll show you that in a minute, that he would bring his people back after 70 years. And it happens through a pagan king. You might say, well... What a great demonstration of the integrity of Scripture. What a great demonstration of God fulfilling his word. You know what I've discovered? People will believe what they want to believe. Because if you don't want to believe that that's a fulfillment of Scripture, you'll argue that it wasn't exactly 70 years. It wasn't on the exact day or the exact hour, or the exact minute, you can argue if you want to. And if you want to believe, you'll believe it was in that time frame. What we're happening in America today, and please, 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 as believers, research before you post. I can tell you some things that have been on the news this week that are blatant, knowing falsehoods intended to shape the way we think. And I've watched Christians repost that as though it were true. People who don't want to believe won't believe. People who want to believe will believe. And I'm choosing to be a believer. I'm going to believe that what God said is true. I'm going to stand on the principles of the word of God. And if I don't see his word come to pass in my lifetime, that doesn't change it at all. He will bring to pass what he has declared in his word. He'll bring to pass what is promised in your heart. What God has declared, he will bring to pass. And a revival. Of a renewal of worship starts in that very place. That this is the word of God, and I believe it's true. This is the word of God, and I'll bank my life on it. And it doesn't matter how long we sit in captivity in a foreign land, God said He would bring His people back, and He's going to do that very thing. I don't care how long it's been since Jesus came, I'm telling you, He's coming back, and He's going to catch His church away. I'm telling you you there will be a millennial kingdom there'll be a new heaven and new earth wherein dwells righteousness and I know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved I've chosen to be a believer today I've chosen to be a believer today and it started with Ezra saying what you're about to read what you're about to read is God fulfilling what he said through a man. Because there's a correlation between the communication of the truths of God and the voice of the human being. And when we're moving in the spirit, do you know when the New Testament tells us to covet, to prophesy? 
doesn't even tell us to covet to speak in tongues. Though I believe in that and everybody needs that, but it tells us covet to prophesy. You know why? Because there are moments when God will give you a word to bring to someone else's life. And if you, who I'm feeling it now, if you are the voice of God to your generation, he will bring to pass what you declare. Because you'll be declaring what you heard him say. You won't be declaring what you imagined. You won't be declaring what you want. You won't be declaring what you have dreamed up. You'll be declaring what you heard God say in your spirit. And when you speak that about you, it will say, this came to pass to fulfill the word of the Lord that was spoken by Larry Lowe. This is the, this is the working of God to bring to pass what was spoken, uh, the word of the Lord that was spoken by Bob Jeppesen. You can put your name in that place and a renewal will be when we believe that what God has declared both by the gifts and inspiration of his spirit and by the revelation of his written word that it will come to pass. I just believe that. Here's the word of the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. <clears throat> for I know the plans I have for you. How many have ever heard that? Another verse that we just lift out of its context and apply it to our lives when it was a direct word to Israel about Babylonian captivity to remind them that he'll bring to pass what he says. This, who, this is, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're in captivity. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Hard to believe that, isn't it, when you're in captivity? Plans to give you a hope and a future. Hard to believe that. When everything is turned against you, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banish you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place where I carried you into exile. And I'm saying to you this morning, God may have given you a promise some years ago that will bring you out of captivity, that will bring you out of a place of depression and discouragement and despair. And I'm going to tell you this morning that you need to anchor your life not on your present circumstance, but on the eternal revelation of God's word and what he has declared to you today is time to re-grab that promise, re-own that promise. Your family is going to come back to God. Your depression is going to be liberated. Your victory is ahead of you because the Bible tells me that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And I may be in a battle today and it may look to you like I'm in captivity, but I'm not believing I'm staying here because I read what the word of God says that all these things work together together for good to them that love God. Are you hearing me this morning? I may be in captivity today. You may be in captivity today. But the morning's going to come when God will honor his word and bring to pass the promises that he gave you that you've been holding on for years and years. Don't give up on the word of God. Don't give up on the word of God. What God has said will come to pass. Confidence in the word of God. Now, how did this happen? The Lord moved the heart of the king. 
<laughs> God can do that. God can move the heart of the king. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. This does not mean that everything a king does is led by God. It does mean that God can move a king's heart when he chooses. Those are not the same thing. It doesn't mean everything the king does is ordained, but it means when God wants to do something, he can move the heart of the king. Is there a king standing in your way? Is there someone who said it's never going to come to pass? God holds the heart of the king in his hand. I listened to a pastor starting a church, oh, 60-some years ago, told about going into a community. They needed a place to meet. And as they were talking about where to meet, the high school gym was available, and other religious groups had used it. And so this pastor starting a new church went to the mayor or went to the city council and asked for privilege to do that and what the fee would be and they said we don't see any problem with it but the mayor said it's not going to happen that church is not meeting in our gymnasium at the high school so the pastor said God began to pray either move his heart or move him out he was a popular mayor you know what happened in the next election he got moved out and the next mayor who came in said We'd love to have you use our gymnasium. I'm telling you, don't ever think, listen, don't think, ever think that any earthly voice is higher than the voice of Almighty God. It's his declaration that matters because the heart of the king is in his hand and he can move it if he chooses and when he chooses to move it. Cyrus was a pagan He was not a God-fearer nor a God-seeker. But God said, "Woo!" God said, I made a promise. And no earthly despot is going to stand in the way. No earthly power is going to stand in the way of what I have declared will come to pass. And he began to move. Now, I am going to say this to you about moving the heart of the king and moving your heart. You can be like Cyrus and respond Or he could be like Nebuchadnezzar and eat grass like an ox. But he can move you. (laughs) You decide how you want the moving to happen. The king proclaimed the word of God. What was birthed in his heart came out of his mouth and he made a proclamation that says, through the entire kingdom. It's an amazing thing when people who do not serve the Lord begin to proclaim the word of the Lord. (laughs) I'm going to be really careful here. But if you can't see that happening at the highest levels of our government, you've been asleep. I'd love to have Billy Graham lead this nation, but I'll take a Cyrus. Because the other choice is the Antichrist. I'm not calling anyone the Antichrist. I'm just saying, don't you dare. That's not what I'm saying. The Antichrist will be smarter than most people run for office right now anyway, but that's a whole other discussion. I'm just saying, 
general terms. All right, let's get out of this. God will fulfill his word. Number two, when God begins to move and there's a reviving of the spiritual tide, God will fulfill his word and God's people will be obedient. God's people will begin to obey. Secular government opened the doors. And the Jews did not have to rebel against Persia and say, this is what the word of God says, and we're going to blast this door open. We're going to make it happen. Let's overthrow the government. In fact, they weren't even hardly paying attention, I don't think. But God began to do something to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy. In fact, do you know what God told them to do? This is, I wish I could digress in the whole Babylonian captivity. Do you know what he told them to do while they were in Babylon? He didn't say curse the land and curse the king. He said bless the land where you live. <laughs> you know what we call that? We call that a Christ follower. You bless the land. We've been guilty for generations. Oh, let's, don't look at the rash today and act as though you're shocked anyone could behave that way. Because I remember when Christians blew up abortion clinics. I know of Christians who have murdered abortion doctors. That's not how we respond. Is anyone hearing me now? That's not the way of the church. And God didn't say, create an insurrection, blow up the country, put down, put down your suitcase, build, uh, plant gardens, and be a blessing to the nation around you so that when you're gone, you'll leave a witness behind you. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, <coughs> you too will prosper. <laughs> love and bless the city. I said, let's love and bless the city. That's called rewind. Let's love and bless the city that we live in. Now, how did God move on Cyrus? Again, this is another whole study. But if you look at verses 2 to 5, look at what Cyrus says, because here's how God began to move him first, the Lord, the God of heaven. It started with the revelation that there was a God different than the gods that he served. Somehow, the God of heaven, which is who? The God of creation, who's the God of Genesis, who's the God of Psalm 19, who's the God that's sovereign in the universe, revealed himself as not one of the gods that Cyrus worshipped, but he said, the God of heaven came to me. He has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Second portion, he had a revelation of the God of heaven, and he had resurrect within him a thankful heart for the blessing of God. You will never rise above your circumstance until you see him as the sovereign and are thankful for what he's given you. A thankful heart. And then he says... And he's given me all the kings of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. I mean, I, I wish that Cyrus had become a Christ follower, a God-fearer in the Old Testament, because he had a revelation of the God of heaven, had a thankful heart, and understood the mission that the God of heaven had called him to. And it changed him. What will change you? The same thing will change you. 
When you see him as the creator of the universe and you're thankful for what he's done and you get a revelation of what he's called you to, an important, significant calling, and Cyrus responded. And God honored him for that. Second, when he moved the heart of Cyrus, he moved the hearts of the people. Everyone whose heart God had moved, who began to obey? Those that God moved their hearts. Because it's kind of tough, isn't it? God's calling me to do something different. But God, I did what you said. I planted a garden. I started a business. I'm prosperous and I'm prospering my countrymen. You're asking me to give all that up and go from a place where I'm being prospered to a place of rubble? People can't do that. Unless God moves their heart. (laughs) I see it every Sunday. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I can't change anyone. Pastor Tim, don't you just wish you could make people change? Just get a hold of them and rewire them. I'd like to have a laboratory. There are some people I'd love to rewire their brains. Because it is not functioning in a healthy way. You know, just kind of unscrew the lid, get out my soldering kit. Oh, there's the problem. There's the unbelief wire. Let's take that one out. Put faith in. But preaching and ministry and counseling won't move people. And that helps me. Because when I see people respond to worship or preaching, I've been at this long enough to know That's not an indication of the effective communication skills of the preacher. It's an indication of the effective convicting power of the Holy Ghost. And you watch people begin to respond. Why? Because their hearts have been moved. And when people's hearts have been moved and they want to pursue God, what will happen is they'll begin to obey him. Hello? They'll begin to obey him. So God fulfills his word. God's people began to obey. And the temple, (laughs) oh, Lord, help us right now. The temple became their priority. Worship became their priority. The glory of God became their priority. And they were willing to leave all of their prosperity and their financial growth and their business and personal equity behind because now it was the glory of God, the worship of God, the temple of God that became the priority. When that changes, that body of believers will change the world. Number three, when God's word is fulfilled and God's people obey, God's provision will be released. God's provision will be released, verses 6 to 11. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make this up. The Bible says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, all those prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord Jerusalem, and their neighbors began to give them money. <laughs> Can you imagine saying to your neighbor, Well, our church has a plan to expand and needs to raise $6 million, and we're going to invest in that and have your neighbors say, can we be a part of that too? (laughs) Do you know why they respond? 
Because people love to support people who have passion, who have vision, who have given their lives to something. Even the pagans say, Let's, we're not going, but we'll give you money. And God begins to loosen their heartstrings, and they're given gold and silver. Be blessed. And you know what? Had they been fighting for all those years, had they been mean all those years, had they been ugly all those years, they wouldn't have had the favor of the pagan nation. But because they heard the word of God and they blessed the people around them, when it came time to fulfill God's call, God began to shake wealth out of the hands of the wicked. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. The king then restores the stolen goods. The crowd begins to bless, and the king says, I'm going to give you back what we took away wrongfully. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'll just give you an example that I just think would be amazing. If the government would say to the church, we took away your free speech when we gave you nonprofit status. We bought it. You want to talk about compromise? The LBJ compromise was a huge one. We'll quit talking about politics if you'll let us have free money. What if the government said, we were wrong. We're going to let you keep the nonprofit status, and we'd love to have you speak about what's going on in the government. That's what's happening here. What had been taken away by the king is being given back by another king. This is yours. We want you to have it. We're giving it back to you. It was taken away from you wrongly. The stolen goods are restored, and everything that was given went to the work of God. None of it was used wrongly. Look at what it says. This was the inventory. This is pretty specific. Good records are kept of God's blessing if you want the blessing of God. Let me just show this out. I just, I just, I, it just kind of floated in. I'll throw it out. You can do it with what you want. But if I ask you if you're tithing and you say, I think so, I know you're not. <laughs> Oh, come on now. I've never met a real tither who didn't know what they're doing. That's a big deal. How many of you know it's a big deal? 10% of what God has blessed you with to give that away. That's a big deal. Well, I think we are. If you pay your rent that way, they evict you. (laughs) Is your rent current? I think it is. Are your taxes up to date? I think they are. You'll start a prison ministry. They gave a record of everything that was given for us to read. 30 gold dishes. Now, that may not seem big to you, but made of gold, that's a lot of money. 1,000 silver dishes, 29 silver pans, 30 gold bowls, 410 matching silver bowls, 1,000 other articles. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver that was given back to the church to rebuild the church. That's what God does. You see, God 
won't bless people who haven't shown themselves to be faithful. You show yourself to be faithful first. And when you're faithful in that which is least, he'll bless you in that which is much. Shout now, somebody. I'm talking about how do we get back to the restoration of worship. It's simple. Put confidence in what God has said he will do. Obey what God speaks to your heart and watch for God to supply the resources to fulfill the calling he's placed on you. And he will bring it to pass. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. I just feel like, and I I, um, didn't plan this. It's not my notes. But with heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. I just felt as I was preaching, there's somebody here this morning or maybe watching online because you matter to us and we want to stay connected with all of those. And by the way, my earlier comments about church, understand we're in this in-between stage where if you don't feel comfortable coming back yet, I get that and there's no pressure on you to do that otherwise. Just to know that we're headed back to full bore ministry. That's what God's called us to, just to be aware of that, but no pressure or guilt. So whether you're online or you're in this room, If you feel like God gave you a promise that today is years old and hasn't come to pass, I'm going to ask you to pick that back up today. I'm going to ask you to pick that back up. No one looking around, but he's given you a promise. And you've laid it down. This is a day to pick it back up. I want you to lift up your hand. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else quickly? I don't know if you feel the warmth of the Spirit of God in the room right now. But Jesus, you see each one of those hands that were raised, representing a promise that you have given. And today, Lord, we're turning from our doubt, we're turning from our fatigue, and we're re-embracing that promise we're going to pick it up again we're going to believe that your word is true we're going to believe that it will come to pass and that you will provide the way in Jesus name let's stand together Pastor Nathan's going to lead us and and just for a moment here's how I want us to focus on this in this fashion if you want to join in a rising tide of revival it starts in chapter 1 a recommitment to the word of God obedience to what he says and trusting for his provision and if you're willing to say Jesus do it here and do it in me make the temple more important than the walls make the temple more important than the walls let Jesus talk to you as Pastor Nathan leads us you stood before creation Eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my faith. Carried the cross for my shame 
my sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I walk upon salvation. Sing it, church. Your spirit, my life to declare. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely. your voice. Sing it out, church. So I'm staying the one who gave it all. I'm staying my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all. I am. He's yours. Sing it out. that you will lead us into a time of renewed worship. Do in us what needs to be done so that we can see your word fulfilled in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, 